Welcome to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From catnaps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking clutter and declutter and just that stage when you first have your baby or you're expecting your baby and you're not really sure what to expect in terms of how am I going to manage my home? This is going to look so different than anything has ever looked in our lives. The stage of our life, you know, managing our home is going to be so different than it used to be. Housework is going to be different. The way our house looks and feels and what's around our home is going to be so different. And it can be part of the overwhelm, I think, of having a new member join your family. And I am a self-proclaimed neat freak. I uh, don't like clutter. I consider myself a minimalist. And so when our daughter Myla arrived 10 years ago, I was overwhelmed. Like I recognized that there was going to be stuff. And as more and more stuff came into the house, I recognized it was necessary. Like we needed the Jolly Jumper as much as it was stuck right in the middle of our living room. I felt like we needed it. She loved it. It was a helpful tool for us to distract her sometimes when she just needed a distraction or the exorcisor or the high chair, like all the things that started to feel like they were taking over our home a little bit. I recognized that I wanted them to be there, but it didn't stop me from feeling overwhelmed by how different our house looked and felt. And as a, as a neat freak, that sort of got to me and it just added to the overwhelm that's already there when you when you become a new parent. So I wanted to focus on that today. So I reached out to Katie Wells because Katie is a declutter expert. I wanted to just talk to her about tips for people like me when you are a new parent and you're trying to figure out how to manage household mess, but also maintain your sanity once baby arrives. And so Katie is joining us today. She, like I said, she's a declutter expert through her best-selling declutter courses and globally recognized top 50 podcast, The Maximized Minimalist. She has inspired over 250,000 families across the world to declutter their homes in a practical way. She proves that by moving away from the surface level strategies and really having deeper conversations like we're going to have today to solve those clutter problems at their root, even beginners can bypass this overwhelm that we're talking about and the self-doubt and instead generate exciting momentum as you move closer to creating a home that you love that also allows you to focus on what really matters. So welcome, Katie. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Erin. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. I really am. This is so great. So tell us, I would love to hear, I know a little bit about this because I follow you on Instagram. I've been listening to your podcast. I know a little bit about you, but not every, not all of our listeners do. So I would love to know a little more about you and how you got started in all of this. How did you become a minimalist? Such a good question. I, uh, I love to start by saying, because I, when I was drowning in clutter after, usually after the kids come, right, it really just magnifies the clutter problem we were probably tried we a lot of us could get away with i feel like because i wasn't like a perfectionist or organized like you i was already had a clutter problem and then first son was born eight years ago and then it just like magnified it um but anyway throughout the years obviously now i'm on the other end of things i'm a declutter expert and now i coach other women and families how to simplify their lives but i was wasn't born organized it was always something i really really struggled with and um after I became a mom and just started to notice every single time I came home from work because I was working full time and then coming back home to the baby, 
I felt more anxiety than I felt like when I was away from home. And I started to really tune into this. Like, why am I feeling more overwhelmed? Like I'm excited to go home and see my son and play with my sweet baby. Yet like my stress levels instantly went up the second I walked through the threshold of my door. And I realized after a while, I was like, oh, it's because of all the chores, all the tasks, all the to-dos. Like, what am I cooking for dinner? In order to cook dinner, I need to spend 30 minutes clearing off the countertops. And I don't want to do that. I'm already tired. And it's like, I started going down this like mental spiral the second I walked into my home. And now it makes sense. Like I read studies all the time, Erin, and maybe you've seen these too, that there is a direct correlation between our stress levels as women and the amount of things in our home. And when you are bombarded with all of this visual stimuli, whether it's clutter or just stuff that we need for the baby or expected mess, right? The mess that happens from everyday living, it can be instantly overwhelming. And that impacts our our cognitive ability to plan, to think, to organize, to declutter, like cook dinner and take care of the baby, take care of ourselves and do all these different things. And so I started to go, okay, well, the problem is clutter. Let's declutter. And like a lot of people, I didn't have a lot of time. I wasn't sleeping much and neither was my baby and I was working. And so I hopped on Pinterest and downloaded how to declutter your house. And ultimately those checklists became clutter on my, you know, countertop with the rest of the baby gear. And I really realized for me, I needed to get to the roots of my clutter and also make it really practical and sustainable. A lot of the methods out there, it was like, take take a whole week off work to declutter your house or, you know, take six to eight hours to go through your wardrobe all in one sitting. And I'm like, how am I, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't have the time. And so, and it's also not really a shift in mindset, right? That's like take eight hours one day. And even if you were lucky enough to have that eight hours or that week off of work, if you're not really changing your mindset and you're just doing one big overhaul, what happens when you haven't changed your mindset? So it just builds up again. Do you take another week off work? Right. Yeah. Like yeah. the once a year purge or like if you've yeah. had ever heard of like rage cleaning or rage decluttering, <laughs> you know, like that second you're just so overwhelmed and you're so over it and you grab a trash bag and like you feel better after like an hour. But it's like, what do we do that once a year? Like that's not, you know, and we're still stressed out the other 364 days of the year. Um, so really through a lot of trial and error and a lot of tears and trying to get figure my way through it, through decluttering, I feel like I really cracked the code. And I was like, you know what? I didn't realize when I was decluttering the impact it was going to have on my mental health, the impact it was going to have on my relationship with myself, with my husband, with my kids, instead of feeling like I had to chase them around the house. Now, you know, I had two kids and a year and a half and, you know, instead of chasing them around the house, picking up after them and having like this chronic anxiety to constantly be doing something and chores and like feeling quote unquote productive in the house, I was able to relax. I was able to like play, you know, blocks with them and not have this nagging voice in the back of my head. Like you need to do laundry. You need to do this. You need to do this. Like I know a lot of parents and moms have, And it's just given me so much freedom. It's, you know, there's, again, this direct correlation between, you know, our stress levels and the stuff in our home, but also our, you know, mental health, again, anxiety and depression. Those also tend to go up along with the stuff in our house for a whole host of reasons. And so I think that's really what made me so passionate about decluttering in the first place. I think it's great to have a minimalist home for aesthetics, but it's not really my thing. I'm like, I'm in it to just transform families and um, because we are intricately connected to our external environments. It, it impacts how we feel, our thoughts, our emotions, our behavior, how we show up as parents, partners, caregivers, sisters, moms, like whomever. And so that's been really profound. And um, again, a, again, another reason why I'm so excited to be hanging out with you today and talking all things decluttering. 
Yeah. And to, to followers and listeners who are essential, I, I don't think we have anybody who listens to the podcast who isn't a parent, if, I mean, an, or an expecting parent. So you're, yes. you're at the right crowd, right? And, and that's what I love about what you talk about is we're, and you just said it, we're not just decluttering for the sake of decluttering. We're not just creating a minimalist home for aesthetics. This is about allowing parents to focus on what really matters. So great. You have a decluttered home that is like lovely and tidy and clean and looks nice. That's just the bonus. That's not the root of it. The root of it is it allows you to focus on the stuff that really matters. And that is your kids for sure. But it's also focusing on you, your mental health, downtime for you, clearing that mental space. So you're not taking up all of your quote unquote free time, just thinking about clutter or dealing with clutter, but you're actually able to use that free time to either play with your kids or get enjoyable things done or take that time to yourself. So that's the stuff that really matters. And it's not just about the way your house looks. And I think that's a really important part of what we're talking about today and what you talk about in general through your courses and on your Instagram account and on your podcast. So that's excellent. So let's dive in. We were going to talk about the top five tips that you have for new parents or just parents in general on how to manage household mess, but also maintain your sanity because it's this balance, right? Like, I feel like I can only have one or the other. I can only have a mess and, and deal with the fact that there's going to be mess because I have this baby and I'm just figuring out how to be a parent or how to be the parent of two children. Maybe I only, I had one before and now I'm dealing with the two to one uh, or the one to two transition or, or something like that. That's all I have the mental space for. So it's either deal with that and have a messy house or, you know, deal with the messy house too, but then just, I'm going to have a breakdown because I can't deal with it all. And you feel there are ways to deal with all of it and then come out the other side, even happier and healthier. So that's what we want to talk about today. We can do it. We can do all the things and we can have all those things, but there's a way to get to the root of it to make that happen so that we can, you know, enjoy our kids and have a decluttered home. So the first thing that you talked to me about was beginning doing daily resets in expected mess hotspots. That sounds like a little, like I'm just, I I had to read that over a few times (laughs) after we talked about that. Begin doing daily resets in expected mess hotspots. I think probably expected mess is is the big one there where you kind of, I did, and maybe our listeners are like, what's expected mess? What are we talking about here? So can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah. So let's kind of bring this back and look at like mess and clutter, like a 30,000 foot view. What's the difference? Because this was a massive aha moment for me along my journey, especially as a parent, because what it can feel like sometimes is like this exercise in futility. Like, oh, I, I decluttered, but then the mess ended up back on the counter 10 minutes later, an hour later, the next day, the next week, and you're super frustrated and you're like, what's the point? And then for a lot of us, we end up going into this kind of shame, blame, or equating mess to like, I'm inadequate, I'm a failure, what's wrong with me? At least I did, and I know I hear from a lot of other moms who feel the same way. And when we're stuck in this shame cycle, it doesn't make us wanna try and figure out a solution. It makes us just wanna give up and give in. And then we hear mess along like the parenting journey, like enjoy the mess, your kid's only young once. And I was like, okay, but there's, where's the line? <laughs> you know, like literally I feel my sanity being pulled the wrong direction because of all the mess. and you know, some people are like, embrace it. And so I was like, okay, well, let's, let's figure out what's the problem here. So when you're looking at the stuff on the living room floor, like the toys, the lawn, the dirty laundry, the stuff piling up in the kitchen, usually it breaks down into two different categories. So the first one is expected mess. So these are things that you're probably using actively recently, 
um, you know, wipes, diapers, clothing for the kids, dishes that you just, you know, had your food on for lunch or for dinner. And that got put back on a surface area, but just didn't ultimately get put back where they belong because you were busy, right? So stuff that's just out and about, it needs to be put back where they, it belongs. Now, clutter, on the other hand, is different. It's truly like this disorganized excess. So it's the volume of things. So instead of having five wipes accessible to you at the baby cha changing station, maybe you have a hundred, especially if you have a toddler who's like, yeah, I'm going to pull all these out. <laughs> and not to say you shouldn't have a hundred, uh, you know, out, but maybe you have them tucked away where the toddler can't get to them for the baby. Um, and so this disorganized excess, the clutter is really is what's all consuming. And it makes handling that expected mess and tidying up and keeping your home, you know, fairly mess free, it makes it so much more difficult. And so the solution for clutter is always to get rid of it. And a common mistake I see with new parents, and this is me too, I thought my problem and how I would handle the clutter is organize it. So I went out to Target, I got the cutest new bins and I'm like, oh great, I just need to spend a couple hundred bucks on bins and then problem solved. But guess what? The problem isn't solved because it's so difficult, near impossible to organize all the copious amounts of stuff that we just want to cling to just to, just in case or just because and so i can give you all the strategy and we're going to talk about daily reset i know i kind of went on a tangent here and we're going to come back to it but okay. if you don't understand like the difference in expected mess and clutter the solution becomes really like muddy waters and you don't know what to do and so expected mess so we, you mentioned daily resets so these are something i swear by so daily resets are where you literally take seconds to minutes the more consistent you are doing these, these are called daily resets for a reason, you know, the less, usually the less um, time they take. So you just put everything back to a baseline. And typically you're just tackling surface areas. Kitchens are really common spaces to do daily resets. A lot of us do these kind of innately anyway, like after you have dinner, you probably do dishes to some extent. But after the toys get played with, as an example, as the kids and the babies get older and they start to have different toys accessible, um, after playtime, I would teach my kids and help them clean up. So that's a daily reset. You put everything back where it belongs and your home feels so much better. You didn't declutter anything because you're just putting away things that you use that have a purpose and a function. And again, the clutter needs to be decluttered, not organized. I can't stress that enough. Don't make my mistake. I literally wasted hundreds of hours and I thought this is helping me. But it really just, it kind of enabled me to hang on to all my clutter at the end of the day. And that still stressed me out. And I think that's such an important distinction and a good way to organize it in your mind. Like, so if I'm understanding correctly, like expected mess happens and it's there, but we can organize that and put it away yes. and with a daily reset. Clutter is the stuff you don't actually need that we need to get rid of. hundred percent. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. So doing that daily reset, just a quick seconds or minutes of looking around and saying like, what is the stuff in here that we need, but does it need to be like on the floor right now? And we can organize and put away. And that takes a few minutes. And then it's just that shift automatically in your mindset of like, ah, okay. That's a little bit better. Like that feels a little bit better. That feels a little more organized. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. And the more consistent you are again, the easier they tend to be, but some top three spots I would definitely recommend doing these are kitchen, which you a lot of people already do. Um, changing stations with a new baby. If you're getting ready to, you know, have new baby, you know, plan for five minutes, you know, and when you do these resets, I, you can, it's also an opportunity to declutter, but if you're just putting things away, that's an also a great time to reorganize and take inventory. Like, oh, do I need new wipes? Do I need more? <laughs> do I need to go get my, uh, you know, extra diapers out from, 
wherever you keep them and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of just helps declutter the mental clutter too. And you just, I, I think as a parent, after I started doing these, it just made me feel so much more on top of things and more mentally organized as well. So again, there's definitely a, you know, a reflection between the physical clutter and the mental clutter and just keeping everything organized. And so I think you might've been starting to touch on this, but the next thing, the next tip you have is about clutter audits. So what, what exactly do we mean by a clutter audit and how do we do that? Okay. So a clutter audit is kind of just a fancy way of saying decluttering, but with an audit, what you're doing is you are working decluttering into your everyday routine when you are at home. So anytime you are doing chores, so let's say you're doing your reset in your, I don't know, let's say your kitchen. So you're putting the clean dishes away. So we run our dishwasher every night. And then every morning, my husband and I, when we come downstairs, we unload it. And so that's an opportunity to spend five, 10, 15 seconds, 60 seconds, as we are putting, you know, the clean coffee mugs back into the cabinet to look in the space, the cabinet's open. Hey, I haven't used those six mugs that literally have a quarter inch of dust on them in the back of this cabinet for six months. Hey, do I really need 15 sippy cups? Do I like worry about getting a concussion every time I open this cabinet drawer? Because there's so much excess and most of the stuff I can't get to anyway. And so that is a clutter audit. When you're putting the clean silverware away, maybe you find some like melted silverware. As kids get older, we all know the plastic <laughs> wear that sometimes has a little melting issue in the dishwasher. So it's an opportunity um, when you're doing dishes, when you are doing laundry. One of my favorite spots to do clutter audits is after I pull clean clothes out of the dryer. My kids are six and eight, and even when they're babies, they grow so quickly. And so I might pull something out of the lot, out of the dryer and go, you know what, this was really tight on my son last time he wore it. So I'm going to put this straight into the donation bin. And so kind of tied in with clutter audits. If you were doing these seconds a little bit here and there in various parts of your home, you need somewhere quick and accessible and visible to put all of the stuff immediately into. That's usually where people are like, oh, well, I don't have time to declutter right now. I have to go get a trash bag. I have to make it a big deal. That's what we think in our heads. But again, clutter audits help that. So just have a permanent donation bin somewhere in your home. We have one again in our laundry room. Our kids, now that they're six and eight, I put, they each have one in their closet and they add, Erin, they add stuff to it. I don't even have to like ask them. I'll just like go look in their closets every once in a while. They'll have shoes, they'll have toys they're not interested, clothing. And then um, we have one in our garage too. So you can show these donation bins to your family, to your partner, to your kids. I mean, if they're like three, four, five, six plus, depending on your kiddo, they can understand like what, what the purpose is. And it's really cool because again, it's a designated spot for the clutter to go and it acts as this invitation to be filled. It's a beautiful thing. And so clutter audits and donation bins dovetail. So that is one thing. If you start doing that, I promise you will make such a big difference in your home. And I think that's such a great example for your kids too, is just like, you know, to show them when we need things, we need things. And when we no longer need or use them, or they're not useful to us anymore, like clothing that doesn't fit this, rather than just shove it back in the drawer and then get this buildup of clutter that's just going to overwhelm us at some point when we finally decide we have no choice but to get rid of this stuff because our drawers are bursting open. We manage it one step at a time in a more calm and less overwhelmed way. I think that's fantastic. 
I feel like I'm gonna have to start doing this podcast as a video instead of audio only, because if you all could just see my face while Katie is talking about all this stuff, did I mention that I'm a neat freak? Like I'm so excited right now when you were talking about emptying the, we do the exact same thing. We run our dishwasher every evening and then in the morning we empty it for the day, every day. That's our sort of cycle. And now I'm just picturing myself tomorrow morning, putting the mugs away and I'm a neat freak. And I feel like I am a relative minimalist, but I know I have some more work to do. And because I'm a neat freak, this stuff actually excites me. So I'm like, actually excited about tomorrow morning when I empty the dishwasher and looking at my cupboard and getting rid of stuff. This kind of thing excites me. Don't judge me if this kind of thing does not excite you (laughs) listeners. But these are great ideas. I love this. I feel like anybody can just see how this can reduce the overwhelm, like the idea of waiting until it's built up so much. And, you know, you have to take like a day or days out of your schedule to purge because it's become an absolute necessity because your house is bursting. And then that feels so overwhelming because even as you said, like, I got to find bins, I got to find garbage bags, I got to take a day off work. This is going to be so stressful. Instead of that, it just becomes this like routine. And then you don't have to do the annual overwhelming purge. It's just a part of your daily life. And you don't get that massive buildup that feels so overwhelming and so unsustainable and something that you can't even overcome at some point. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, your daughter's 10, my sons are six and eight. And I feel like doing these clutter audits regularly, and I still do them. And I've taught my sons how to do them really just in the last few years when it comes to their own things, you know, them seeing me declutter things that they don't care about, like dishes or my clothes or my shoes. It's like, they are watching, you know, and we're always taught that when a baby comes like, oh, they are watching, they're listening. And we're like, okay, but are they really? Yes, they do pay attention. Yeah. And I have a lot of moms that come into my world. And the first thing they ask me is how do I get my kid, you know, my six, seven, eight year old, which I know if you've got parents, mostly with babies, but if they have older ones too, they're like, how do I get my, they have too many toys. How do I get them to just like be okay with getting rid of their stuff? And I'm like, well, have you ever modeled letting things go? Like, if you really want to make this a life skill, it has to be more than a once a year purge. You have to model and start with your own things. And I think it really goes a lot further than people think. It's a long-term play, but I think those are honestly the ones that are a lot more successful for, you know, teaching, modeling, nurturing, that type of behavior and skills that we want to instill in our kids. Mm-hmm. We might have to do a whole other episode about getting your partner on board with this because my husband won't let go of like his (laughs) university engineering mug that has dust on it in the back of the cupboard. Like if I try to take that out tomorrow morning while I'm doing my morning reset and I'm emptying the dishwasher, he's going to be all over that. It's not going to happen, but we'll, (laughs) we'll have another conversation about that. Tip number three, understanding that mess does not equal inadequacy like that. Let's talk about that because we're talking mostly to moms here, Mm -hmm. young babies who are in so many different facets of their lives feeling like I can't keep up, maybe thinking I'm not enough. I'm not doing the right things. I'm listening to this Instagram account about sleep and that Instagram account about sleep. And they're saying different things. So I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I feel like I'm failing at all of it. I'm listening to this podcast about nutrition and also that podcast about nutrition. And I don't know whether I should be doing baby led weaning or purees. And it's overwhelming being a new parent, as you know, and there's so many, unfortunately, there's so many places that we go that end up just making us question ourselves and doubt ourselves and Mm -hmm our adequacy and if we're doing things right. So when it comes to the mess, which is your area of expertise, how do we understand that mess does not equal inadequacy? How do we help ourselves understand that? All right, quick pause, because what is more important to talk about when it comes to sleep than what we actually sleep on? 
I want to tell you about my very favorite mattress brand, Obison. Whether we're talking mom and dad, kiddo, or baby, Obison is my go-to for comfort when it comes to your family's sleep surface. You wouldn't want your family to sleep on anything less than the very best, and that starts with the best materials in the world. Obison's mattresses are handcrafted in Canada, and their materials are organic, ethically sourced, and chemical-free. Babies' body temperatures tend to fluctuate while they sleep. Obison's mattresses are breathable and moisture-wicking to help regulate babies' temperature levels throughout the night. And comfort knows no age, so Obison's organic 6-inch mattress for kids also features evolving support as your children grow and grow and grow. And when it comes to custom sleep, Obison is all in. That's why in addition to mattresses, they also offer you five distinct pillows with unique designs and different fillings that serve every sleeping style and meet both your toddler's needs and your own as grown-ups. We want you sleeping great. Use code HAPPYSLEEPADDLE at checkout to get $80 off a queen-sized shredded rubber pillow for mom or dad. Head to obison.com and obison.ca and get great sleep started. I think, again, now I've been doing this for so many years now, and this was me too. And so, like the bulk of the women and moms that come into my world struggle with maybe not really realizing it with a lot of perfectionistic tendencies. And when we have perfectionistic tendencies, whether we identify as a perfectionist, perfectionist or not, sometimes we just have tendency, you know, you know, similarities. It's like we are so, we're so dependent on the outcome. And whether it's decluttering or doing a daily reset, and it's like, oh, oh, my kitchen counters are clear. And then again, that moment when the partner comes home or the toddler walks in and dumps the whole thing of blocks on the floor, and now you're triggered. Well, oftentimes we get triggered because the outcome isn't what we want it to be. We are just like, oh, can it just stay this way? You know, when we look at different social media accounts or magazines or websites, we're like, oh, I just want the picture perfect home all the time. And when other people maybe that we follow or admire or who influence us kind of portray that their homes are that way, on paper, we're like, well, obviously that's not the case, but always subconsciously part of our brain is telling us, ooh, Katie, you're not showing up as much as Erin, right? Look at her home, look at her family pictures. Do you see any clutter in them? Look at your home, you are, <laughs> you are not leveling up. Like you stink at life. <laughs> and this is a type of narrative that runs through our heads. And I really think we have to let go of this idea that once we declutter once, or once we dial into these clutter audits, the end goal is perfection. Like, oh, like that's what I wanna achieve. We have to let go of that. And instead of striving for a home that's always tidy, shift it to, listen, I'm gonna strive for a home that's easy to tidy. And I think when I was able to realize like, okay, mess is normal whether you're marie kondo joshua becker aaron katie wells <laughs> it doesn't matter mess happens to everyone it made me feel so much better it really did and i was able to release some type of narrative that was making me feel like a failure anytime the blocks ended up back on the floor and then i also dovetailing into that i i think i've come to really appreciate mess and i know this kind of can be an eye roll for some of your listeners <laughs> Because when you see mess, this is a side effect or it can be a reflection of connection, play. I think so often in our homes, it's play, right? Toys on the floor, especially as our kids get older and have toys, um, board games. I mean, pillows, fort building, all the things and um, different times to connect and have quality time, laughter, creativity, all these different things produce mess. But when you look at mess as like a bad thing only, I think you're just destined to feel like 
lead a resentful life. And I, I was a super resentful mom and wife for a lot of years when it, when it came down to the topic of mess and stuff. And now I look at it, it still irritates me sometime, absolutely. But now that first of all, we have a handle, the clutter's mostly gone, you know, clutter's always there, but you know, it's, it's not nagging me anymore. Literally, it's so liberating, Erin, to be like, I can relax and make a mess with my kids while we bake together and be like, you know what, it's okay that there's a bunch of flour on the floor because that's not what this is about. This is about spending a moment with my kids right now or a board game or blocks or whatever that is. And that really tied into that letting go of that. My home always needs to be tidy and kind of going from one extreme to the other, like cluttered all the time to like always needing to have this perfection. And it's so beautiful because I have, I'm more present. And I know a lot of people who declutter can relate to that. And I know like, right, you have more intention, more presence when you're not so bombarded with these narratives or physical clutter calling your name. Absolutely. And I love that. I love all of that. I'm just realizing that if your house is messy, it doesn't mean you're inadequate. And in many ways, at many times, it's going to mean you're, you're doing a really great job because you are playing with your kids. You're baking with your kids. You're letting your kids explore and paint and make a mess that, you know, can be cleaned up later. You know, when the time's right, when this playtime is done, when this moment of connection is done. (laughs) Yeah. When you do your daily reset, Um, you know, I think about my own daughter's room. So that is a place where growing up, like I'm not a neat freak that fell far from like an apple that fell far from the tree. My parents were really like we, our house was always like ship shape and I never would have been allowed to have a messy room, messy, depending on what you define as messy. And my daughter's room, what we got a few years ago, we got a puppy and she was seven. She was just turning seven when we got our puppy. And I thought, you know, this is kind of a great time to get rid of a lot of the toys and stuff on the main floor of our house. Because until that point, we had designated areas on our main floor that was just like, we have a young child. There are going to be toys out. You know, these generally stayed in certain areas. But by the time she was seven, I was like, oh, I really like the main floor of our house back. Yes. You know, that just looks like mostly not just not an adult space, but just like a place where people just live, but don't necessarily play. I think we're at a point where we can move the play things to other areas out of sight of mm-hmm. us and guests, et cetera. So I said, this is the perfect time because now we have this puppy and I need, I can, she's old enough for me to explain to her, you can't actually have toys on the floor. He's going to eat them. Like he was a nine week old puppy. So I think it's a good time for us to move your toys to your room. And when you want to have designated play time, you know, when you just feel like playing with these toys, you can do that in your room. She has a nice large room. She's an only child. So she has one of the bigger rooms in the house. And (laughs) And, you know, it was also at a time where she was really independent with play. Like if she wanted to play with me, we were playing like actual board games and things like that. But it wasn't like she was a toddler anymore, where if she was playing with toys, I was down on the ground with her. She wanted to be down on the ground playing with her imaginative toys on her own, using her own imagination, you know, making her dolls or horses talk to each other and that kind of thing. She didn't really want me there for it anyway. So she was old enough and totally okay with the idea of having this independent play. And I think that's normal for a lot of kids. I know when I was that age, I would go to my room to play for an hour and I wanted to be on my own in there with my stuff. So it was great. But now her room, it's, I mean, depending on our definitions of different words, it's not dirty because, you know, we go in there and we dust and we clean, but there's stuff all over the floor. She is obsessed with horses. She has like 
stables and barns and horses and paddocks and all these different horse toys that she really, really loves and still plays with. And it's like, she, we bought her a loft bed to minimize the space that her bed takes in her room so that her room could basically be a play area. And sometimes when I walk by there, I'm just like, (laughs) oh my gosh, like there's barely a square inch of floor left. It it kind of like, I feel like I should be teaching her to just like clean that up and put that stuff away. And it, but it, and it should be like kind of out of set of, out of mind unless you're actually playing with it, but it's a lot and she loves it and it's her room and it's her stuff and it's clean. It might, there might be a lot of stuff, but she uses it on a daily basis. She gets enjoyment from it. And the couple of times when she first started to, you know, have all this stuff in her room that I stopped and thought, oh, I should really be telling her like, your room isn't tidy enough. Stuff needs to be put away. And then I let go of that. And I realized mm. like, it's not in anybody else's space. It's not unclean. She loves it. She enjoys it. I would never have been able to have all of those toys out in my room on my floor when I was younger. And I would have loved to, Yeah, it it really let me let go of that and realize like our house is a nice, clean, tidy place. This is her space and she enjoys it. And it's not inhibiting her from, you know, Mm -hmm. getting to her dresser to get her clothes out or, or whatever. So I think it is just like you say, see your tipper on seeing the value in the mess. Yeah. This is like a mess that is just, it's not really a mess. It's her stuff and it's a lot of stuff, but it's not doing anyone any harm. And it's actually great for her because she just gets so much joy out of it. And then she'll come out of her room and she'll tell me, you know, after she played with her toys for half an hour, she'll be like, oh, I did a competition with my riders today, you know, and they're, you know, they're going to do this kind of competition or that kind of jump tomorrow. And, and you can just see how much she loves it. So it's all just to say, as someone who had a really hard time for a long time, mm-hmm. seeing the value in mess, once you do start to see it, it makes it just a lot easier to walk by it and be like, it's fine. It's fine. And that's like a big step from me from it 10 is. years ago when I would never yes. have been fine with any kind of mess. Yeah. And and there is that value in it. And when you start to see that as a parent, I mean, of course, we still want to find that balance between clutter and valuable mess or expected right. mess. But I think when we find it, it can be really helpful to our mental health. Yes. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Thank you for sharing mm-hmm. that. It's like you said, it takes time. And I think kudos to you for being able to identify like, listen, this mess is serving a purpose. Yeah. And it's serving so a purpose. more important yeah. than like my need to control, <laughs> which I think a yeah. lot of us have. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's her space and you have, yeah. So good for you. Yeah. I also loved what you said. There's always a few moments when I have guests on where I'm like rapidly scribbling something that you said, because I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's like the aha moment striving for a house that's always clean, which is just, is that attainable? Probably not for the vast majority of people versus striving for a house that's easy to clean. And I think that's your like full circle moment where we started this conversation with like your daily resets and your clutter audits. And that is the stuff that then makes your house realistically easy to clean when it realistically gets messy because we're people, we're human beings, we're parents, there's going to be mess. Let's just embrace that and know that, but create a space where it's easy to clean. So that's easier on our mental health because we're not as bugged by the mess because we know it's going to be easy to clean up later. It's not going to be some monumental task. Yes. I love that shifting your mindset that way. It doesn't always have to be clean, but let's try to find ways to make it easy to clean, which is why you're here today. Amen. Um, okay. So before we wrap up, I want to talk about a big one. And this is like to say, ask for support. 
mm-hmm. is, is a tip of yours. And I feel like that's to- that we hear that all the time as, as moms, especially, right? Like, don't do it all yourself, ask for support. And I am again, another person, I think my listeners have been listening long enough that they, whether it's just to this episode or to the podcast in general, that they get the sense that I do have perfectionist tendencies and I don't easily relinquish control. So when I had a baby, like many of you listening might feel the same way. Like that was hard to hear people just say like, ask for support, just ask for help. And you're like, Oh, cool. Do you have any idea how hard that is for me? (laughs) This is me too. I agree. (laughs) I totally agree. And so, um, let's talk a little bit about that. You don't have to like, just don't feel like you have to do it all. You don't. So how can you, whether you're a person who has always easily asked others for help or has had a hard time asking people for help. How do we start to facilitate that? Um, I think don't do what I did, which is hold it all inside for years and become really resentful. Like we talked about, right. And same, I was like, same, yeah, resenting my here, husband <laughs> for making a mess, resenting my kids for like playing with the stuff that I allowed to be in our house. You know, it's like silly looking back, but that's what I did. And I felt like it all had to be on my shoulder. So I think part of it is like this cultural idea, like for many generations or even like look back at like think about like a 1950s good housekeeping ad like you know like what were we our parents fed and what were we fed growing up and like the values and beliefs and priorities around whose responsibility it is to keep a home well our lives are drastically different than one generation ago most parents if there's two caregivers most of them work outside of the house yet still a lot of studies show that most women take on the brunt of housework which is really difficult. And so at one point I just decided to, instead of, you know, let it build up and then like let it all out on my husband and, or like passively, passive aggressively, like slam cupboard doors, you know, like while I was cleaning. Up. I have no idea what you're talking you don't, about. Katie. Yeah, no, I've never wink, done wink. anything like that in my marriage. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I need to figure this out because I was, I was like a business owner. I'm like, how can I have like a thriving business? My husband and I were, he's a chiropractor by trade. So we had some health clinics and I'm like, all right, what, if this were the same problem, like in my health clinic, but it were with an employee, what would I do? Well, I was like, well, I would have regular meetings with my employee. And I was like, oh, ding, 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 family meeting, you know? And so obviously when my kids were young and babies, I didn't include them, but I just started having these moments Uh, these planned weekly meetings we started with twice a month just to see how it went once we got consistent with that and we realized how valuable it was we're like oh let's do it once a week and we've pretty much continued that and like our kids are now involved they're six and eight now so it's been a really cool kind of experience to have them included but i think there's kind of this myth around relationships where it's like we only talk or we only have serious or sit down discussions when something's wrong and I really wanted to be like, no, let's just have marriage maintenance. Like, yes, there's some problems right now with clutter and mess and responsibilities and, you know, dividing those. Um, so it's been really beautiful. So we just had those weekly touch points and I would just completely just be like, hey, I noticed I'm feeling really resentful or I'm feeling really frustrated with me taking on the brunt of everything. How can we figure this out? So you know, my gut wants to always be like, you need to do this. You need to step up. Here's what I'm doing. And here's what you're not doing. Um, And so I think if going at those meetings with a team attitude, like how can we solve this together? It's a small like shift in mindset, but like the words that come out of your mouth and how you say them and your tone are completely different. And so that was so fruitful for me 
And while we had different schedules and different, you know, time, you know, at the end of the day, we all of us only have so much time, just even being able to, and even if you couldn't be like, yeah, I'll clean an hour this week, just me being able to voice that was like, sometimes all I needed to do. So for your listeners out there who are like, well, that's great if we have a family meeting, but my partners won't be able to do anything. You'll be surprised how much better you'll feel just being able to have like these discussions in a not like, you know, reactive state and in a proactive state. Absolutely. And, and probably surprised at the things your partner might sort of raise their eyebrows at. Like, I didn't even know that was an issue or I never really noticed that this was happening. I'm over here like, <laughs> listeners, see episode X with Dr. Tracy on conversations with your relation with your partner after you have a baby. She's see episode favorite. Y. Yeah. yeah. Like, see episode Y with Dr. Cutlip on the default parent. See yep. episode C on, <laughs> you know, uh, where we talk to the mom therapist about stay at home parents and myths mm-hmm. about stay at home, like all of these kinds of things. We have this conversation a lot, but it's about so many different aspects of our lives. It all comes back to the same thing, which is there is this like cultural and historical way that things have often been done that we are like really trying to shift because it's overall better for the family, overall better for everyone's mental health, especially the person who has previously been taking on the brunt of a role in a certain case, whether it is the primary child care provider or the primary household maintenance person, cleaning person, organizational person. And it's about having that conversation. And it's really hard. Like, I don't think like Katie and I are human beings. So it's not like we're sitting here like, come on, listeners, just do it. Just have a conversation. It's so easy. It's not easy. And and we don't expect it to be. I don't expect it to be. I know from all of my conversations with other experts that I've had on the podcast, I've learned so many things, but it's been tough. And I, but I've been trying to implement it and follow their advice in my own partnership and have those conversations, even when they're tough. And even when they don't go the way you'd hoped having it again the next week or the next time Mm -hmm. something comes up that you really want to get to the root of. And so, so much of this, whether we're talking about the, the caring of baby or the dealing with in-laws or the clutter in your house is about getting on the same page as your partner. And I think obviously what we're talking about here today is that clutter in your home that might be causing you overwhelm as a parent that once you start having those conversations with your partner, asking for support and feeling like you don't have to do it all. And to be honest, when you told me that tip, the first thing that came to my mind was like, yeah, like when my mother-in-law comes to visit and I And uh, like, she offers to help me with things. I should say yes, instead of just saying, no, I'll do it. And it's a little bit frustrating to me that the first thought in my mind was not, you mean your partner. Oh, okay. (laughs) You meant your partner. I immediately went to like, oh, like, you know, when you need help with the baby, right. Don't just do it all yourself. Ask your mother-in-law, ask your neighbor, ask your best friend. Oh, wait turn to the other partner in your home. If you have one who is also an equal, you know, shareholder in this relationship. And if you don't feel like everything is balanced there, go there first and don't feel like you have to be the one who has to take it all of it on, or even the majority of it and find more of that balance, whatever that balance looks like for your family that you think is fair and equal. Mm Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think too, like, luckily, and I don't, know how this happened. I went into the initial conversation and I was like, I didn't really expect a big change or like, you know, actions to shift. And that was mostly from like, again, the objective, like his schedule is crazy busy right now at the time. And, you know, even when we're talking about like sleeping, I remember like 
six months in, you know, baby's not sleeping, didn't have your podcast to listen to a long time ago. And I remember going, you know what? He can't help because he traveled a lot at the time. And a lot of time he just wasn't here. So I'm like, is it going to help to even have a conversation if he can't truly do what I wished he could do? And I was like, I'm just going to talk about it. I'm feeling upset. I'm feeling resentful. You're out of the house. You're living life. I'm stuck at home. I'm not sleeping, you know, and just having the conversation was helpful. And I think some of us avoid it thinking, well, the outcome, he's not going to change or she's not going to do anything different or, you know, what's the point? But I think there's so much, um, I guess, beauty and possibility with continuing the conversation typically these do better when they're not just one-off conversations and a lot can actually happen and shift over time down the road so i I, just just some food for thought there for that listener who's like yes i'm thinking that katie (laughs) and a great place to start yeah okay well this was so helpful this was so so helpful i mean what i love about this is, is i think it's helpful to people who have no idea where to start and have always felt like they're you know, not a minimalist and they have a lot of clutter. And now, like you said, you know, you felt even more overwhelmed. You already felt a bit of overwhelm with your clutter. And then when baby arrived, it just became even bigger. And then for someone like me who never felt like they had a cluttered home. And then when baby arrived did and didn't really know how to manage it because we'd never felt that at all. So either one is overwhelming. And I think whichever perspective you're coming from the, these types of tips are so incredibly helpful to get you on a path where you are looking at things from a different mindset. You are implementing just regular habits that can help you overcome that overwhelm. This is all really excellent. Um, Katie, where can we, where are the best places for us to find you for more information? Well, come hang out with me on the podcast, The Maximize Minimalist. I have weekly episodes just like you and uh, YouTube as well. So you can find me under Katie Wells. And then I love Instagram. That's my social, like my favorite social platform. So me too. find me, Katie Joy Wells. <laughs> Perfect. And you know what? We'll put all of that in the show notes. So everybody has easy links to find Katie. Thank you so much for being on today. It was so helpful. I hope everyone got a lot of great tips from that. Thanks again for being on Katie and have a great week, everyone. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the everything baby sleep podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.